The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Praise the Lord. Thank you, choir. That was great. That's Act 1. Act 2 will be Thursday night, and the final act will be next Sunday morning at Act 3 when we celebrate Easter. Uh, This morning, things are a little bit different. We're not going to have a prayer time right now. Uh, We're going to wait until the invitation, and that will be prayer time. If you want to come and pray at the altar uh, during prayer time, that'll be great. It'll be at the invitation. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to take it and open with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. And uh, when you find Matthew 21, join me in standing. And while we're standing with God's words in our hands, let me just tell you, some of the children you saw up here a while ago are going to come back this afternoon. This is a big day for them. Not only are they... Uh, taking part in worship this morning, Uh, but I think we had seven last week that qualified from our church to go on to the Associational Bible Drills, and they will be right here in the sanctuary this afternoon. Now, it's going to start at 1 o'clock, but Carol told me our group is supposed to be on at 2 o'clock, so if you want to come at 2 o'clock, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, I love it when the children sing, but I want to tell you something. Uh, Not every child can sing. Children are different in their talents. Uh, But every child can learn to love the Word of God. And I was so blessed last week as I watched our boys and girls show what they have learned. And they worked very hard. And so I hope you'll come back this afternoon. Now, men, I'm going to say this. I want all you men to look at me right now, okay? I watch one golf tournament every year. Guess which golf tournament it is? It's the Masters. Guess what's on today? The Masters. Guess where Brother Mike is going to be at 2 o'clock? right here. I want these boys and girls to know they're more important to me than any golf tournament could ever be. And the fact that they're studying the Word of God and learning the Word of God and hiding it in their heart, I want them to know that, that I appreciate the hard work they've done and the, their leaders. And I hope a lot of you men will come today. Uh, I, I know some of you are like I am. Maybe that's the only golf tournament you watch all year. Uh, but I want to tell you, uh, I would rather be here watching children show what they've learned about the Word of God than watching anything on television today when I can encourage these boys and girls. I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Uh, Well, this morning we're thinking about the triumphant entry of the Lord Jesus into Jerusalem. We've seen it so beautifully described in our worship experience. We're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, his version of the triumphal entry. This is the Word of the Living God. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there and a coat with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the coat. Then they laid their robes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, saying, Who is this? 
And the crowds kept saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, every year when we come to Easter week, I always want to emphasize the fact that even though we call this the triumphant entry, it really wasn't a great triumph because many of the people in that crowd on Palm Sunday, when Jesus came up over the Mount of Olives and entered Jerusalem for the last time, many of the people who were there shouting Hosanna on Sunday changed their shout by Friday. And they were shouting on Friday, but they were shouting, crucify him, take him away, crucify him. That goes to show what happens when crowds gather. I hope you young people learn a lesson from that. The crowd usually is wrong. Uh, The other day I saw where a sports team won a victory in one of our northern cities. And when that sports team won a victory, uh, the students from that school went out And instead of celebrating a victory, they became a mob and destroyed several vehicles. And several people were injured in that mob celebration. Notice the Bible does say, though, a very large crowd. And then it says, then the crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed kept shouting. Now, Adrian Rogers tells us a little bit about the cross here. And I want to go ahead because everything in Easter week is focusing on the cross. The triumphant entry is focusing on the cross. Cleansing the temple, focusing on the cross. Debating with the scribes and Pharisees, focusing on the cross. Having the Lord's Supper, taking Passover, making the Lord's Supper, focusing on the cross. And then spending the night in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, focusing on the cross. And then Friday, Good Friday, focusing on the cross. And then silent Saturday when the Son of God lay in a borrowed tomb wrapped in cloths because he was dead. But that focused on the cross. Adrian Rogers said this about the cross. It says, he being infinite suffered in a finite period of time. What we being finite would have suffered in an infinite period of time. Now let me tell you what that means. When he talks about a finite period of time... Adrian Rogers is talking about the six hours Jesus hung on the cross from 9 a.m. on Friday. And this is the tradition. I know there are different theories about what day it was, but I'm a traditionalist, and I don't want to confuse you. Believe me, if I tried to explain it to you, you'd be confused because I'm confused about it. So I just take the tradition. And really, you know, was it on Thursday? Was it on Friday? The important thing is he was crucified and he rose on Sunday. Amen. Uh, We we can get along. Uh, You don't have to agree on every little jot and tittle of it. And I always observe the traditional because I'm just a traditionalist. And like I said, I could go into depth and detail on it, but I'd be more confused after I did that, and you would be too. So let's just keep it simple, all right, if that's all right with you. But when Jesus hung on the cross during those six hours from 9 a.m. Friday morning until 3 p.m. Friday afternoon, that was a finite period of time. The first three hours he hung in the sunshine. The last three hours the sun refused to shine. Jesus suffered hell on that cross in six hours. You see, he's infinite. And only the infinite God could suffer hell through all eternity in six hours on a cross. And I will tell you this. The corollary to the statement by Adrian Rogers is this. Your sins have either been judged on the cross of Calvary on Jesus Christ, or your sins will be judged in eternity, an infinite amount of time in hell. 
You say, wait a minute, preacher, you're going to talk about hell on Palm Sunday? Well, this is a celebration. It is a celebration. It's a victory celebration. He wore the victor's crown. He suffered for us on that cross that we through his suffering might be made right with God. And by the way, everything that happened in Easter week was programmed eons ago. It was programmed before God ever created the earth. The donkeys that were there, and by the way, there were two of them. There was a mama donkey and her coat. And I want you to know this. If you read the Bible very carefully, he didn't ride on just one of them. He rode on both of them. And guess what? We're told later on that these had never been ridden on before. I want to tell you, I don't want to ride on a donkey that's never been ridden on before. But I'm not the son of God. Not only did he ride on a donkey that had never been ridden on, he rode on her coat. And the Bible says very plainly, he rode on them. All of this was prepared in eternity. There was a command. Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, and here's what he said. He said, go, go into the village ahead of you. We don't know now where Bethphage was. We know it was near the Mount of Olives. It was between Bethany and the Mount of Olives. It probably has blended in with the landscape of Jerusalem. And it's probably impossible today to say, here's where Bethany ended and Bethphage began. It's kind of like Alabaster and, Hel- and Helena and Pelham. There are some places where they touch. And unless you know where the boundaries are, you don't know which city you're in. And so as Jesus was coming in, he said, go up there to Bethphage. There's a donkey there. And he said, I want you at once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. When those disciples went into that village, they saw a donkey and her colt standing there, and they immediately untied the donkey and the colt. And then notice this. Jesus said, if anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. You see, Jesus knew that this was going to happen. He knew he needed to ride in on a donkey to fulfill the scriptures. He knew that this had to happen in order for the Jewish people to know he was the Messiah. And so he gave his disciples this command. And by the way, if we're a disciple of Jesus, we have to do what he commands us to do. What kind of disciple are we if our Lord tells us to do something and we don't do it? Jesus said, you call me Lord and Master, but you don't do the things I tell you to do. Those disciples went and they found a colt and her donkey, and they brought them to Jesus. But then we focus on the crowd, a very large crowd and the crowds. Now, who made up these crowds? Well, first of all, there were people in Jerusalem for Passover. Sometimes an estimated number of 2.6 million people came to Jerusalem for Passover. I was in Jerusalem A few months ago, I was in Jerusalem. We left to go the day after Christmas and got back the first week in January. And for the second time in my life, I've been in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a crowded city today, uh, but it's almost impossible to picture the ancient city of Jerusalem. But historians tell us that 10 years after the birth, after the death of Jesus on the cross, a Jewish historian says there were 2.6 million Jews in Jerusalem for Passover. And that they slaughtered 260,000 lambs for Passover on that one. So this is a huge crowd in an ancient city. And so there was a big crowd in Jerusalem for Passover. But then there were people who came from Bethany. You see, Jesus loved Bethany. He loved to stay in the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And many times on his trips to Jerusalem, he'd stay with them. It was a short walk to Jerusalem, and so he'd stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And on the last time before he came back this time, he had gone up there because Lazarus had died. He had been dead 
four days. Now, Jesus raised a lot of people from the dead, or several people from the dead. But Lazarus had been dead the longest. They'd already buried him. They'd already sealed up his tomb. In fact, when Jesus showed up, one of Lazarus' sisters kind of said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he said, well, your brother will live again. And she said, well, I know my brother will live again at the, at the resurrection. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Though your brother's dead, he'll live again. And he went to the tomb and started to call him out. And that same sister said, oh, Lord, he stinks by now. Isn't that like us? <laughs> we want him back, but just if he doesn't stink. If he stinks, just let him stay in. Listen, I want to tell you this. Lazarus smelled like a rose when he came out of the tomb. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus doesn't do anything halfway, amen? He didn't do anything halfway. But there were people who knew Lazarus had risen from the dead, and here comes Jesus again, and they say, hey, he's the one who called Lazarus from the dead. We want to hear what he has to say. And so all these people from Bethany came. Let me tell you what else had happened. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus made a little side stop in a little town called Jericho, one of the most ancient towns in the world. And you know what happened in Jericho. If you were ever in children's choir, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. And when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, because I'm going to your house to stay. Well, old Zacchaeus was a tax collector like Matthew. Everybody, everybody, everybody in Jericho hated him. But that night when Jesus ate supper with him, he said, Jesus, if, if I've... If I've robbed anybody, I'll pay them back four times. And he said, I, I'm going I'm to be a new person. Well, guess what? Lazarus got saved. I mean, not Lazarus, Zacchaeus got saved. And when Zacchaeus got saved, his life changed. Not only that, but while he was in Jericho on that last trip, two blind men got healed. And so all these people from Jericho said, hey, oh, Zacchaeus, oh, hard-hearted Zacchaeus, got saved, and these two blind men got healed. Let's go see what happens when he gets to the capital city of Jerusalem. So there these people came from Jericho, from Bethany, from Jerusalem. Why were they there? Well, we're told that every year at Passover, they would take the lambs from the shepherd's fields outside of Bethlehem, and they would march them in a procession over the Mount of Olives to come in through the eastern gate because that's where the temple was. If you go there today, the eastern gate has been sealed. <laughs> you know who did that? The Arabs did that when they had control of Jerusalem. They still have control of the temple mount. And so they sealed. In fact, if you go to the eastern gate on the inside, you have to go on Arab territory. You can't wear a cross. You can't carry your Bible. You can't even hold hands with your wife. They don't want any kind of shows of affection on the temple mount. They think that because they seal that eastern gate, they're going to keep Jesus out. But I've got news for you. The grave couldn't hold him, and that eastern gate will bust wide open when Messiah comes across the Mount of Olives when he returns again. So they were there to see those lambs come over the Mount of Olives and go in the eastern gate. Now, what did they do? Well, the Bible says they laid their rook robes on the road. Now, some of the disciples had taken their robes out and stretched them across the two donkeys. 
And that's what Jesus said on. He said on their robes. Well, when they took their robes out and stretched them out on the donkeys, other people thought, well, I need to do something. And so they took their robes out and they went ahead of Jesus because they knew exactly where he was going over the Mount of Olives down into Jerusalem. And they started spreading their coats on the road. And there were some people there that were poor. And they didn't have a coat to put out on the road. And so they began to get palm branches and lay them down before Jesus. And that's what they were doing when this procession began. Now, why did they do that? Well, in 2 Kings 9.13, a man named Jehu, who was a military leader, had been appointed by God to be the king. And he sent a prophet to Jehu's house. And when the prophet got there, there were men who were his lieutenants and colonels and, and other officers in his army. And they were sitting around the room with Jehu, and the prophet said, I'd like a private word with you, Jehu. And he took him into the back part of Jehu's house, and when he got back there, the old prophet took out a horn of oil, and he said, Jehu, God has sent me here today to anoint you to be king of Israel. And Jehu knelt down, and the old prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head, and so they went back out in the room. And the prophet didn't say a word to the men that were in that room, and the men immediately asked Jehu, what did he come here for? And Jehu said, well, if you really want to know, he came here to anoint me to be king of Israel. And you know what those men did? They started taking their, their coats off, their, their robes off. And there were steps there. And they put their robes on those steps because it is a sign of obedience and submission to your sovereign. When you take off your outer garment and you place it down for him to either walk on or to sit on. It was a sign of submission and obedience. Now, let me ask you this. Be honest. Now, don't, don't, don't try to act spiritual, all right? I remind you, it's a sin to lie. How many of you had ever heard that before about Jehu? Be honest. Any, look around, anybody? Howard, you got your, I, I believe Howard. I believe Howard. Howard probably knows, I see another hand back there somewhere. Two people that I saw, maybe there are more, but I didn't see them in this crowd. You know how you learn that? From studying the Bible. You know, I could get up here and tell you something was in the Bible, and most of you trust me. And you'd say, well, Brother Mike never would say something that wasn't in the Bible, and I wouldn't want to, but guess what? I'm human. I might make a mistake. Folks, I want to tell you, these folks in those days knew the Bible. That's what's wrong with our society today. We love the Bible. We just don't study it much. Listen, folks, the Bible can't change your life sitting on a table or laying on the dashboard of your car. You've got to put the words in your heart. Old Jehu was anointed king, and he became king. And Jesus was following in the footsteps. God had sent him not to be the king of Israel, but to be king of kings and lord of lords. And then they were cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. John 12 is the only gospel that tells us what kind of branches they were. And they were palm branches. Anytime you see palm branches, it is a symbol of peace and joy. And so what were they saying? They were glad to see Jesus. Jesus has come. The Messiah is come. We're so happy. We've got peace in our hearts. And, and we have joy because God is moving to help us in life. But then notice the Bible says those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The word Hosanna literally means save now. That's what it means. Some of you knew a Hebrew word and you didn't know you knew it. The word Hosanna is a Hebrew word, and it means save now. And not only that, it's a command. It's a cry. It's an exclamation. Save now, Lord, we want to be saved. I can just see the little short Zacchaeus coming behind that crowd. He's trying to get them to pay attention to him. He can't because he's so short. And he's running, hey, I just got saved. Hey, I just got saved. And they're hollering, save now. And Zacchaeus said, hey, I know what it's like to be saved. You know what somebody would say to him? Oh, Zacchaeus, hush. You're not saved. You don't have a crown on. Rome still oppresses us. We're not saved. You see, they didn't want to be saved from sin. They wanted to be saved from Rome. You know what Jesus was accused of by false witnesses? He was accused of trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. He was accused of not paying taxes to Caesar. Remember what Jesus said about that when he was questioned about, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Remember what Jesus said? He said, get a coin out. They pulled a coin out. And he said, whose picture is on that coin? And they said, Caesar. Remember what Jesus said at that moment? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Jesus never tried to overthrow Rome. In fact, he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world or my servants would fight. And I want to tell you this. This is one old Alabama boy that's glad that Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Roman kingdom. Because if that had been the purpose of his coming, then all of us would die and go to hell because he would not have been the savior of the world. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. He came to overthrow Satan. He came to overthrow sin. He came to overthrow death. And if he had not come and if he had not done it, we would be miserable today. Our life would be meaningless. He came to save the law. That's what he said after Zacchaeus was saved. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke records that after the triumphal entry, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because Rome would eventually destroy the city, the temple, and the people. They rejected Jesus. And 40 years later, the Romans completely destroyed Jerusalem. Three years later, the last holdout of the Jewish nation was on Masada, and the Roman Empire was about to conquer Masada, and those Jewish people said, we don't want to go into bondage. And they committed suicide rather than live as a slave. And the people of Israel were scattered for over 1,900 years. I want to tell you what happened during that 1,900 years. God established an eternal kingdom, not on this earth, but an eternal kingdom that includes the earth and the heavens because Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, what's the conclusion? Verse 10 tells us what happened. First of all, the city was shaken. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, saying, who is this? And let me say this, I'd like to shake Pelham today. I really would. 
I, I would like to shake Pelham today. I'd like to shake Alabaster today. I'd like to shake Helena today. I'd like to shake Calera, Montevallo, Columbiana, Hoover. I'd like to shake Birmingham. I'd like to see them shaken. Because you know what happens when you get shaken? Things change. When you lose everything, things change. When you have no hope, things have to change. You've got to find hope somewhere. The city was shaken, but the sad thing is the city was mistaken. Notice the crowds kept saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. I got a little long-winded, so you're going to have to turn that over. On the bottom of our order of worship, you'll see. Jesus was not a prophet from God with a message. Jesus was God sent to seek and to save the lost. He was the fulfillment of prophecy. Israel rejected the Messiah, but to all who receive him and follow him, he is their salvation. You know, it kind of makes Palm Sunday sing almost trivial, doesn't it? Because they were shouting, save, Lord, save now. But they didn't mean save my soul. They meant save our country. Well, I want to tell you, there's going to be another triumphal entry. Book of Revelation tells us about it. John said he was taken to heaven and he looked around heaven and he saw a seven-sealed scroll. Now, Barry, I think you know what that scroll was. That scroll was the book of Revelation. And old John wanted to know, who can open that scroll? And you know what it said? It said nobody was found in heaven and nobody was found in earth. In fact, it says nobody was found under the earth who could open that scroll. But then the lamb stood up and they put the scroll in his hand and all the people in heaven, all the angels and all the redeemed souls began to sing, thou art worthy, thou art worthy. And Jesus remembered those voices crying on the way into Jerusalem Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he also remembered that those same voices on Friday said, crucify him. But Jesus said those voices in heaven, they weren't two-faced. They weren't hypocritical. They said, Lord, you are worthy. You're worthy because you were slain. And by your blood, you saved every tribe, tongue, and nation. People from all over the world are going to be in heaven because of what the Lamb did on Good Friday and what God did on Easter Sunday morning. Oh, I want to tell you, I wasn't there in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And I have to be honest with you, knowing what happened on Friday takes a little of the sheen off Palm Sunday for me. But I'm going to be there on this next one. I'm going to be there when the Lamb of God, wearing that victor's crown, stands up by the right hand of God and he takes that scroll and he breaks every seal on that scroll and he opens the scroll and the thousands of voices start to sing, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, blessings and honor and glory and power, not just for creation, but because of salvation. Don't miss the message of Easter. The message of Easter is not to wave some palm branches and celebrate 
because a king rides in on a donkey. The message of Easter is God loves you. And God will save you. I want to tell you, I believe this with all my heart. There's not a person on the face of the earth that God would refuse to save. If that person turned to God in repentance of their sin and placing their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and proclaiming, he's worthy, I'm not worthy, but he's worthy, and I want him to be my Savior. You say, preacher, are you sure of that? Yeah, I'm sure of that. You say, give us an example. I'm so glad you asked me. Thank you for that. There was a guy that hung on a cross one day. And the Bible tells us when they put that guy on the cross, he was yelling at Jesus. And he said, hey, if you really are who they say you are, save yourself. And by the way, save me too. Get down off the cross, take me with you. But after he'd seen what Jesus did when Jesus looked out and said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He realized this man didn't come to save the nation. He came to save the world. And in his suffering on the cross, he turned to Jesus. And maybe the last words he ever said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said to him? He said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, this day, today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know who's going to be thrilled next Sunday on Easter Sunday? Jim Porter, I saw you out there. There you are. Jim Porter, Easter's going to mean more to you this year than it's ever meant before. You say, why? Because just a few weeks ago, Jim's precious wife, Sandy, sweet, sweet, dear Sandy, Breathed her last breath on this earth. You say, well, what happened to Sandy after that? She was in the presence of the Lord. And one day, because of the resurrection, there will be a shout and a trumpet sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and those of us that are alive at that moment will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and we'll meet them in the clouds and forever be with the Lord. That's what Easter's all about. Easter's not about beating Rome. Easter's about beating the devil. That's what it's about. I want to tell you, the devil hates Easter. He does. He hates Easter because it reminds him he's a defeated foe. And one day, like every lost soul that he tricks, he's going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. Now, that's the message of Easter. You don't have to go there. God does not send anyone to hell. We go because we don't stop at Calvary and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Have you said that? Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? Are you following Jesus? Are you studying God's word? Are you growing as a Christian? You see, every year at Easter, I have to ask myself those things. Am I the same person I was last year? No. Am I deeper in love with God this year more than I've ever been before? Absolutely. My life's changing. My life hadn't changed a whole lot in 35 years. I've gotten older, uglier, lost more hair, had more physical problems. 
the end of May, my life's going to change. People ask me all the time, are you ready? Well, ready or not, here it comes, amen? I mean, you say, are you scared, Brother Mike? Not one bit. I told God a long time ago, God, when you tell me you're done with me at Pelham, let me know before you let anybody else know. And I think he did that. I know many of you were shocked. My wife was shocked, to say the least. She's still in a state of shock. You say, well, preacher, aren't you worried about the future? Nope, have no worries about the future. Why not? Because I know who holds the future. And I know I'm doing what he told me to do. Can you say that about your life? Are you doing what God has told you to do? Good time to take stock at Easter. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you for this beautiful story of love. How Jesus, the Lamb of God, rode in to Jerusalem on two donkeys and how the fickle mobs gathered at Jerusalem for the Passover cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Lord Jesus, many of those same tongues on Friday were screaming to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Lord, I pray today we'd not crucify you by walking out of here the same as we were when we came in. But I pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves and that we would come saying, Lord Jesus, do a work in my life. Lord, if somebody's lost, save them. There may be people who've been saved and they've really not gone into discipleship. Many of them may not have even been baptized, which you submitted to and you told us to baptize people as an act of obedience to you. Father, there are people that live in this community, go to this church, never have joined this church. Lord, I pray it as an act of obedience and submission, not to me as pastor, but to you as Savior and Lord. They would come today to be identified with the church that Jesus loves. Father, I pray for those here this morning who have needs. And Lord, in just a moment as we give the invitation, the altar is open for them to come and pray. But Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. That when Good Friday was over, Sunday was coming. And I'm thankful for the hope of the resurrection. What it means to us today and what it will mean 10 million years from today when that lamb who is worthy opens that scroll and we give him honor and glory for all eternity. Now, Father, speak to our hearts today. And Lord, I pray we'd not just be shaken. I pray we wouldn't be mistaken. But I pray we'd be changed today by Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.